Welcome to the Brand the Interpreter podcast. I am your host, Mireya Perez, and this platform is dedicated to sharing the stories of language professionals, that is, the interpreters and translators from around the world. This show aims to highlight not just the profession, but mainly the people behind the amazing work. These are your stories about our profession, and this is the Brand the Interpreter podcast. Hi there. Welcome back. This is Mireya, your host. What's new? Here in California, we're open again, guys. June 2021, and we're fully operational again. It's been 15 months since most of us stopped going to the office. So if you're one of those people that has been called back to the office and are tuning in during your reinstated commute, well... I'm glad that you brought me along for the ride, at least. Today's guest is here to enlighten us on the world of ASL interpreting. Sean and I talk about mentorship, raising the standard, self-care, and more. Sean Norris currently works at Flagler Health Plus, located in St. Augustine, Florida, as the Coordinator of Interpreting Services, Section 1557 Coordinator, and as an ASL interpreter. Due to being raised by deaf parents, Sean has close ties to the local deaf community and has been serving as an advocate and volunteer. He spends time mentoring new interpreters, both at work and as a volunteer. Sean has been working in the interpreting field for over a decade, serving as an interpreter and manager for several companies and government agencies. Previously, he established a local agency that provides interpreting services in ASL and Spanish, which he later merged with a large national agency that created an office in Jacksonville. In addition to his extensive interpreting experience, Sean is a longtime public speaker and has worked on several translation projects for a free Bible education work for the deaf. Sean's interest includes spending time with his family, reading nonfiction, and football. So, without further ado, here's Sean Norris. Sean, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited to get started. So why don't we dive right in? Yeah, sure. Sean, as a kid, what did you aspire to be when you grew up? Well, um, it's kind of funny. I, you know, I thought about this and I was like, you know, as a kid, I was just fascinated with superheroes and the Batman movie came out, um, the one with Michael Keaton. And so I just always wanted to be a superhero. So I remember cutting my baby blanket up into a Batman cape and I would just run around and that's kind of what I always wanted to be was a hero. And eventually when I got older, I would even like make up superheroes and draw like little comics and stuff. And I would be kind of like a Batman and professor X combination where like I could communicate with everybody. And I think with having deaf parents, I kind of was always fascinated with languages. So I kind of wanted to have a superhero ability to be able to communicate with everyone, kind of like what Professor X does with the, the telepathy and everything. So, Oh, my gosh. Talk about an intro. I love that. What a great childhood story. And we're going to unwrap it all right now. And I think it it's a perfect transition into the very next question for you, Sean, which is, you know, what what was it all about? What was it like growing up as Sean Norris? Can you give us a little bit into that history of yours? 
Sure. So I guess I, you know, both my parents are deaf. And so I kind of grew up um, signing using sign language first. And um, I learned English a little later. And when I did speak, I kind of spoke like a, like a hard of hearing person. Uh, and it was because my mom could speak some. But eventually I learned how to speak more fluently. Uh, speech therapy and everything helps. <laughs> yeah. um, but I grew up across all over the country, honestly. Um, I've lived on, I lived in the South. I lived in uh, Michigan. I lived in California. And I felt like moving around growing up, that was kind of hard at first, but looking back, I felt like that really helped shaped me mm. um, to become a, a more well-rounded individual. You know, what, with what I always appreciated though is my family was very active in in our uh, our religion, and we were always around other deaf people, and that kind of kept me tied into the community, uh, the deaf community as a whole. Mm. I'm I'm curious to know, and and perhaps those that are listening, maybe as well. Did you feel different growing up, knowing this this part of your family of both your parents that wasn't necessarily a part of you? Did you make that connection at a young age, or did you feel any different? Um, you know, I did feel different in the sense of. Like when my parents would come to pick me up from school, like they couldn't talk to me like the other kids' parents were. And that never really bothered me, but other kids would make comments and um, I kind of became like a spectacle, you know, mm. just because deaf people aren't so visible out there in the community, especially when I was younger. Um, I mean, other than Marley Matlin, you know, they really don't know much else about deafness. And um, you know, a lot of times when teachers would find out my parents are deaf, they would want me to like teach some sign language to the class and um, basically anything to do with sign language or deaf people. Like I was always like the go-to person, the person to, oh, Sean, how do you sign this? And, you know, I, I kind of noticed the, the difference between me and everybody else. So, so is it safe to say that in public you felt different or there, there was a difference, maybe not necessarily felt different, but within the compounds of your home, there was connection. You, you, you didn't feel any different between you and your parents. Um, yeah. I mean, to a point, um, those of us who are the oldest of the family and we're hearing, uh, often we were kind of relied on to be interpreters for our family. Mm. So I know many heritage speakers can kind of relate to that. Usually the oldest of the of the group kind of interprets for the rest of the family. Mm -hmm. um, so I always kind of felt, <laughs> I never really felt like a kid kid per se, but I always kind of felt like a little adult. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I did feel love and connection with my parents. So to me, what I did growing up was I thought was normal. Um, and it's not really until I got older and being around other families who weren't deaf and you start to kind of learn how other, maybe more mainstream America is. Right. So share with us where you grew up, Sean, what was life like where you grew up? Well, um, I, I guess I would say I grew up mostly in two States. I would say North Carolina and Florida, but I have lived in California and Michigan as well. I would say it definitely helped shape my love for like football and things like that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, the ability to have been raised in different parts of the country, I think helped me expand my 
my language within sign language because if someone signed hospital this way, I knew they were from New York City. Or if they signed it this way, I knew they were from Florida or from the South. And so no matter where I was interpreting, I felt like I could adapt. And um, I, I think that really helped me a lot. Um, I love that. That's yeah. great. I didn't even know that was possible, you know, for those of us that are ASL challenged, like myself, you know, I'm learning <laughs> ASL challenged. more. <laughs> I'm learning more as obviously I have these conversations and it's just expanding just my understanding, you know, little by little of, of basically, you know, how very little I knew about ASL. And um, yeah, I just find it so fascinating that um, I had one guest here uh, in the past as well that spoke about, uh, mm-hmm. you know, she was also, she is also an ASL interpreter and um, she's an African-American woman. And even that, you know, there's a dynamic, uh, it just in the way that, you know, um, it's spoken, you know, just mm-hmm. in that, you know, culturally, I should say. So never mind, you know, whatever region you're from, but just in 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 the different cultures as well, which I just find I found it so fascinating because I think many of us have this um just false narrative of what ASL is. Like it's one standard, you know, mm-hmm. way of signing. And it totally is not. <laughs> now, <Yeah. laughs> tell us, Sean, what is your you've got to share a favorite memory. So you moved around various times, right? Like you said, North Mm -hmm. Carolina, Florida, a little bit in California. So Mm -hmm. share a favorite memory from one of these places. Um, Sure. I remember being very little. I, you know, obviously movies and television shaped my childhood a lot. So another movie that was really big when I was little was Jurassic Park, the, you know, the first movie. And Mm -hmm. I just love dinosaurs. I was dinosaur crazy. And my dad took me to a place called Dinosaur World in Florida. And I just, I just loved it. I, you know, I really don't remember much from it other than how it made me feel. And I remember having a T-Rex, like a stuffed T-Rex. And I remember having that for a really long time (laughs) and maybe held on to it a little too long. Um, And it just was representative of you know, just the time I had with my, my parents and, um, just being able to enjoy something and, um, enjoying my childhood with them. Yeah, no. Yeah. I love that. It's, it's so funny, right? How these very, very specific memories stay Mm -hmm. in sometimes. Yeah. You don't even know why, but I, I love that at some point, something Jurassic park related, I'm sure will connect or dinosaurs. (laughs) I don't know why, but (laughs) so funny. (laughs) yeah, (laughs) that T-Rex, you know, actually a story real quick on my end with regards to that. I have, I have two sons and one of them is like four, years older than the other. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the, my oldest had a little dinosaur, right. When he was like growing up that he mm-hmm. too, like he dressed him up in a t-shirt and everything that was his buddy. You know, he <laughs> stuffed that thing away and forgot all about it. Years later, after my second son was born, like we went to the store and he went directly to that very same stuffed animal that <laughs> still existed years later, you know, like at the store. And I thought, how, funny. how the heck you guys are definitely brothers. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know why the connection, but yeah, I just, you made me remember that. Like I was like, that is the same stuff that I should have just pulled it out of the box from the garage. <laughs> I love that. Let's talk about now your transition into you, you grew up 
bilingual because, mm-hmm. you know, of the nature of the, the home dynamic and all that, Sean. So mm-hmm. talk to us or walk us through how your journey began into the language profession. At what point do you recall that you knew, aside from wanting to be a superhero growing up, <laughs> that you wanted to do this as a profession? Do you recall that moment? Um, I I do. Um, it was more, I was, uh, 18 years old and I was working for my dad's company at the time. And I just was like, you know, I'm kind of bored with this kind of work. Uh, I would like to try to do something else. And not too long after having that thought, a family friend who owned an interpreting agency who also knew sign language reached out to me. He's like, you're 18. You're, you're a great interpreter already. Let's put you to work. And I was like, oh, I kind of hemmed and hawed. I was like, I really wasn't feeling it because I'm like, well, I interpreted my whole life and you right. know, I don't really, I, I'm, like, yeah. like, I'm, I'm kind of done that. with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, okay, fine, I'll give it a shot. And I just, I loved it. I loved being able to, uh, in a way, being like a superhero, like, hey, I'm connecting people and, you know, deaf people would feel just so comfortable knowing that my parents were deaf, they're just like, Oh, thank goodness. Like, I know you're going to understand me now because I know your parents and da, 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 da. And it just, it helped reaffirm that this was something I wanted to do. And, um, you know, I, I decided I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to make this a career. I'm going to really take this seriously. What was it about the encounter uh, aside from the fact that you're like, Oh yeah, I'm helping. Was, was it a specific encounter that led you to think like, I could really make a difference here? Do you remember? Hmm. Yeah, I, I do remember. Um, it was, I was interpreting a medical assignment mm. and um, I was interpreting for a family and the, the parents who were deaf were just so relieved. Like they were receiving a diagnosis and mm-hmm. they were just, they were just so happy that it was someone like me and not someone who was just so new to the language or it wasn't someone on a computer um, to convey that. And that really struck me because I'm like, wow, like this is some sad news you guys have gotten, but you are thanking me to be involved in this situation with you. And, you know, it, it, it just made me, it just kind of drove it home for me. Like this is an important work that we're doing. Yeah. It, uh, it hit that heart, uh, part of you, right? That you're like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this is, it's, it, it is nurturing for both for you and for the person. So mm-hmm. I can see how, yeah, that would make a connection. So then you decide this is what you want to do. Do you continue your journey with um, this agency or at what point did you decide, you know what, I want to professionalize and get some schooling? Um, so <laughs> I actually, after doing a few freelance work, freelance jobs, excuse me. I, I was like, okay, I really need to get the sense of how to be a professional. Mm -hmm. So I signed up with a, um, a school district and in the County, we had like 30 deaf kids across the County and we would, there would be like maybe 10 to 15 interpreters. So I got the chance to be under some really great interpreters Um, who have been in the profession a long time. And I was like, that to me is more appealing because I'm like, okay, I can learn what the right things to do, what the wrong things are to to do and have some some guiding principles and someone to kind of help bring me along in the profession uh, and, and start to make it my own. 
I love that. So you actually had uh, mentors along the way, whether they knew about mm-hmm. it or not, right? But yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> you actually saw them as mentors and grew, you know, with their experience. Mm-hmm. And so it, you did you go to school for this or no? No, um, I didn't. Um, funny enough, I actually help a lot of uh, interns out, though. I I mentor a lot of people, and I've spoken at colleges and universities um, about interpreting. I actually was, I guess you would say grandfathered in because I got my national certifications before uh, the requirement to have a bachelor's degree came out. Oh, wow. Um, I see. Okay. Yeah. So now everybody needs to have a bachelor's degree to, to take the test. Mm-hmm. Um, I Hopefully it would be an in interpretation um, and not in anything else. But um, yeah, th- those are the minimum standards now. Yeah, I think that, you know, for for many people, particularly starting now, you know, if they were to begin their journey now, I, I suppose we could get into what what was the most challenging for you? Because um, a lot of times when we have these conversations and we're sharing these stories, the path, you know, from point A to point B sounds so linear, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in fact, there's a bunch of curves up and downs and, you know, like you you name it and, and those things, those challenges that we have to try to get past in order to get to wherever our destination is leading us. So mm-hmm. I, I wonder with you, what do you feel was the most challenging time of your career? Um, I would say it was when I was in a negative work environment and Mm. it was a very political issue. Um, And I don't mean political by politics. I just mean like the internal dynamics of the the company and it it would stress me out so much. And honestly, it was, it was killing me. I was allowing it to control me. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to quit. I'm going to, you know, do some, something else. And, um, what I learned was there is something to self-care. <laughs> mm. It's not just things that we should, we say, and we say we should do it, but it takes a lot of effort to take care of yourself. And, you know, when you take care of yourself, you're able to take care of your family as well. And I was seeing the damage it was doing to myself and to my family. And I was like, you know, I got to leave work at work. I can't stress out about it like this. I can't, be in a toxic work environment. So I, I, I definitely learned to separate myself and, and compartmentalize that and, and say, okay, this is work. This is not who I am. It's just what I do. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. It's not who I am. It's what I do. And, and you also said that what you did was you established parameters or mm-hmm. some boundaries, right? Which I think that for many that, that sounds difficult sometimes, especially if you're really loving what you're doing, you feel that there's no need because mm-hmm. you love what you do. But when you do something too much, like anything, you know, it's got to have a balance. And so um, there is a a negative sides to, to too much. So I love, I love what you just said. And I think that's um, a great piece of advice, particularly for someone that's starting out that may not even understand why self-care would be important. Take it from us. Uh, you know, <laughs> I've been in the field for so long. Self-care is hugely important. And I don't know why it's not taught more in our curriculums for interpreting. Thanks for sharing that, Sean. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, as interpreters, I think we, we kind of get in the mindset of it doesn't like I'm a neutral party. I'm just a telephone line. I'm, this doesn't really affect me, but it does. And I think we need to realize that we're not truly neutral. We do have implicit biases and we are a third party in the room, but we need to recognize the damage that's ha- being done to us too yeah. and accept that. And it's okay. <laughs> Absolutely. It's totally okay. And I think learning these healthy habits, um, mm-hmm. like you said, you know, it, it does actually require effort. Um, I, that's another amazing piece of advice right there, guys, because um, it, it's a conscientious effort that you have to make to self-care, to establish boundaries, to learn to say no, you know, like all these things that we take for granted, I feel sometimes. Um, and in truth, it just comes back to haunt us eventually. I did have another uh, guest at some point, you may have heard him uh, talk about uh, vicarious trauma. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it, it, it goes hand in hand with what you're saying with regards to at the moment, we feel perhaps that we're able to bounce off whatever feeling is coming through in our in our encounter but we don't know whether or not that's truly affecting us one way or another after the fact and what are we doing to in essence decompress so um i'm so happy that you brought up self care because not a lot of people talk about that subject and it's mm. like i don't know it's bit what is it taboo self care and interpreting <laughs> What is the deal, guys? Let's self-care. Let's talk about life as an ASL interpreter. I really want to get into unpacking what it's like. So first and foremost, I do want to talk about what difficulties you encounter encountered entering this specialization, you know, this, uh, you, did you started, it sounds like for school interpreting. So you mm-hmm. did some time you worked in, in the public, public education system. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Public education system. And eventually you transitioned into the medical, uh, yes. field, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about some of these encounters. What did you see in terms of differences or what do you feel was a difficulty for you? Um, I would say at the beginning, um, being 18, 19, 20 years old, one difficulty was the instant pressure from my peers and from clients because they're like, oh, your parents are deaf. Okay. This must be like the, you know, your product must be perfect. And I felt that pressure Mm -hmm. and I felt like I was put on a pedestal unnecessarily because to me, I'm like, well, I'm just a person. I'm an interpreter. I'm learning to, and you know, yeah, I may be more fluent in sign language than some other people, but that doesn't mean I'm a better interpreter necessarily. Mm. Um, so I definitely felt that pressure. Um, and I think that I guess to, for a little background for, for people who aren't familiar with it is I would say, what 90% of the sign language interpreter population are people who learn sign language later in life. Like they're, they're not like other languages, other languages, most, most interpreters are heritage um, speakers and it's the opposite in sign language. There's very few of us, I would say heritage signers, um, or native signers who actually stay and be interpreters, you know, it's, yeah, that's a very interesting number. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember you, you interviewed some, uh, I forgot her name off the top of my head, but you spoke of that interpreter and she was like, it's 90%, uh, white female. And, it, and I'm like, yeah, that's very true. Rory, <laughs> that's very true. Yes, yeah, yes. it's Rory. That's it. And it is 90% white female for sure. 
Wow. Yeah. And yeah, she went into, you know, her whole experience walking in and uh, into an assignment and she'd be like the only black person and black woman, you know, walking in. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah, th- those, those numbers are, are pretty darn high. And, and I, yeah, like I, again, like I said, I had no idea, you know, like these are just, it, it's stuff that's so, um, so interesting because we don't know that. And I think that, you know, the, the more we support each other in terms mm-hmm. of specializations, I just feel like, you know, it, it just broadens not just our understanding, but I think just our connections, you know, mm-hmm. to, yeah. to, to each of us as a person. Um, so you have a particular interest in mentoring and raising the professional standard for interpreters. How was this born? <laughs> well, um, it was born out of basically growing up and being around a, a lot of bad interpreters. Um, Break that down for us before you yeah, get into sure. it. Like, what do yeah. you mean by bad so interpreters? I, I would just say other than maybe signing ability or like the ability to interpret between the two languages, ethics was more of an issue. Mm. You'd have people who probably would interpret at church or something. And then they would go interpret for somebody at a doctor's office. And then they would go talk about that doctor's appointment with everybody they knew. And the deaf community is relatively small. So word gets around and things would kind of spread. And, you know, eventually it can hurt the community. So it, yeah. it got to the point where people would like use their children, like my parents and like, okay, well, my kid's not going to say anything about our business. So let's use them. Oh, it's wow. kind of that, that idea. Got it. No, totally understood. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it kind of came out of necessity. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm like, okay, if I'm going to survive, I need to have better interpreters around here. Oh, um, okay. You know, and I don't, I think everybody would want like the absolute best interpreter for their parents and, you know, or for their loved ones. And right now you have the interpreter training programs and then there's this big gap from a person graduating from what we call ITPs, interpreter training programs, to getting their national certification. And then even if those people do get the national certification, which is pretty difficult, I think only like 20 to 30% of the people actually pass that test. Wow. That's considered a minimum standard. It's not even like the highest standard. And we don't have any specialization certifications. So like in spoken languages, you have like the CCHI, you have... Um, was it the NCBMI? I, I can't remember the acronyms yes, for that one. You have like different specializations. And I feel like for sign language, we're really lacking in that professional standard. You know, you have a general certificate and then that's it. And I think we really need to raise that standard and really help these new interpreters reach that those standards. And then I think that in turn will help the, the community have more access and more access to to quality interpreters, more like the spoken languages do. In your years uh, in this specialization, Sean, have you figured out why it's taken, you know, it's taken so long? I mean, it's, it's such, it's such a dire need. I mean, I feel like, especially right now that we're seeing visibly we're able to see more and more highlights of ASL interpreters due to COVID and the current situation Mm -hmm. that we're in. Um, You know, why, why would this be a case that there something like that doesn't exist? I mean, have you, have you encountered (laughs) some reason Um, or, you know, I wish, I wish I did. (laughs) Um, I, I have not found a good reason. I'm sure, I'm sure it's a very complex answer. 
and it requires many, many groups of different groups of people to discuss it because, you know, ASL is regionalized as well. And then, you know, I always feel like, okay, you have people who graduate from this ITP and then they go to this area of the country and it takes them a longer time to kind of pick up the the dialect there. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I really wish I could, I could answer that like definitively. Cause if mm-hmm. I found that answer, I think I would have worked to solve it already other than just trying to be a good mentor and uh, try to support my local community. No, I, I, I appreciate the honesty because uh, you know, I just, it's something that sometimes I figure there's people I've had people before, you know, before that have shared, yeah, there's a specific issue in the system and they can get, you know, pretty um, uh, specific about what mm-hmm. the issue is. But uh, I wasn't sure if that was something that had been noted or highlighted, you know, during your journey that you've noticed that this is the issue. And, and mm-hmm. you know, it you've, re- you've realized, in other words, what the problem is. And that's why this is the solution to that problem. Yeah. Um, but no, no worries. Let's go back to to what you were talking about with regards to your interest in in mentoring. So you highlighted mm-hmm the why. And and so what has been your journey in this area? Well, um, like I've, I've never been college ed- educated, even though I have worked at colleges and universities and I was determined to soak in all the knowledge I could. So I bought textbooks after textbook and I've audited classes. I've, I've done what I can to increase my own knowledge while still being a practicing interpreter. Mm-hmm. Um, and doing that, I felt like I can kind of understand where my mentees are coming from, from these ITPs, um, the interpreting training programs. And I'm able to kind of speak to them at their language, you know, like when they're talking about demand control schema, I'm like, okay, I know what textbook they're talking about. I read it. I studied <laughs> it. I went to workshops on it, you know, um, I'm able to, to kind of jive with you on that. And I can kind of like, okay, well, this is like the real world application of that. You know, I'm really trying to help them put theory into practice. Um, you know, and unfortunately most ITPs, you, you only have one semester to do your practicum and it's like, you know, now, now you're supposed to go start working and it's like, Oh, right. <laughs> there's so much to learn in, in just a couple of months. So, For sure. so how, how do you do this? How are you out there, um, you know, doing this work that because there's, it's a gap you're filling. How are you doing mm-hmm. this? Well, um, I've partnered with the local ITPs and um, I've offered our hospital, our health system um, to, to allow men, uh, mentees to come and, and work with us there. Um, I have a, right now I have, um, I think seven or eight sign language interpreters staffed at our hospital. Um, we have such a high deaf population. So we on average see about three to five deaf patients every day. And, um, it's a really good chance for the mentees to come and work with one different interpreters and different interpreting styles. And two, to just to see the different amounts of deaf people and see, okay, oh, this, this, this family's from Maryland and this is how they're signing and speaking here. This is an older couple from, uh, from South Florida, and this is what they're doing, and this is what they're here for. And it's just kind of a good way to kind of give them a big, broad experience uh, before they graduate. Wow, that's that's so great. So is it 
Uh, because currently, at, I should mention that you are a coordinator of mm -hmm. interpreting services at a health system. Is this correct? Yes. Uh -huh. And so you partnered, uh, you helped the hospital or the health system partner. Is it with um, local uh, education agencies? Or in, in other words, like pro training programs? Or sure. how are you recruiting your mentees? Sure. Um, so right now um, we've partnered with the University of North Florida, um, us and uh, Flagler Health Plus. And um, University of North Florida has an interpreter training program. And I'm hoping to add another local inter interpreter training program too to, um, to join us. So basically I send out, um, I send them a list of requirements I'm looking for. So I ask that the students uh, have you know, a letter recommendation from somebody. Um, why, why do they want to be an interpreter? Why do they want to come to Flagler? Um, and I asked for some, some videos of them interpreting, like I want to see their product. you know, so they're going to do voice to sign, sign to voice, and they're going to do um, one that's uh, dynamic as well. And I'm trying to select the ones that are, I think would be a good fit um, to come to the hospital. Yeah. So that's pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. So is this something that is part of the program, like uh, towards their, the end they yes. mention, and, and this is an opportunity for you to transition between training and, uh, you know, the practicum mm -hmm. is it, is that what happens? It's towards the end. Well, it is their practicum. So they'll, they'll, they'll stay with us for a couple months. And, um, once they finish that, then, um, I kind of help them with their finals and uh, we send it in onto their professors. Oh, um, yeah. so you are part of the curriculum then. Yes. Oh, that's mm -hmm. so amazing. I love that. Yes. Yes. I'm sorry if I didn't explain it that way, but um, yeah, I, I hope them to, you know, graduate. Hopefully, <laughs> usually by the time they come to us, they've already taken like the written part of the test mm -hmm. for the national certification, um, which I think now has changed to just the history and just it used to include um, the theory, history, um, dynamics of interpreting. And it also uh, did not used to include ethics. The ethics used to be part of the performance exam. But I think now they've changed the test recently and they're going to have the ethics included in the written exam, which I think is more beneficial to kind of help weed out people before they get to the performance. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Especially like you said, it was like, um, you know, a semester's worth of training. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry of, uh, you know, the practicum. So, mm -hmm. and now you're given about how long is it until. So they have, let's see, like I have a group of, uh, of interns now from the university and they are with us until, so I would say about three months. So they're with us through till April, I think. So three, four months. Uh, they're with us. That's so great, and and the they actually interpret while they're they're there. It, do they yes. have the mentor with them the whole time, or how does they that do. dynamic inside work? Sure, yeah. Um, so basically, I assign them to different interpreters, and um, usually I let the the interns rotate between different interpreters for that day. So, like, if we have someone in our behavioral health unit, then you know, every couple of hours or so our interpreters will switch out and then a new, uh, the intern that's with the new interpreter will go in with them. And the intern that was with the old interpreter will come out of the unit with them. And, um, 
we do allow them to have what we call hands up time. So it means that they get to be on the hot seat and start interpreting. Uh, but they're, they're always going to be observed by a mentor. And the reason is it's since we're dealing with medical and behavioral health stuff, it's, it's really important that we don't misinterpret something in uh, cause it could really affect someone. Oh yeah, absolutely. And now I'm curious in terms of, you know, just like more of the back end part, are these mentors um, that are following uh, the student interpreters, is there a rubric that they're, that they're following in order to um, grade them? Or is this simply based on performance in general? No, it's just based on performance in general. Um, so for me, I'm going to be like the site supervisor. So I'll be the one who kind of does the paperwork for the university and give them their grades and stuff and what they're doing here. No, that's great. um, Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's a really cool experience. We've been doing it for about two years now with uh, North Florida. I love it because, and I asked the back end because I'm always interested in the, the back end of things. Like, how does it work? Like, you know, cause it looks great, but how does it work? And, and especially because something like that would be, so ideal in the K through 12 public school system. Oh, if, it would, yes. if we could, yeah, if we could tap into these universities that have these certificate programs. And I, I say it because I've been trying to do that with our local university <laughs> and, and well, have them come through. Yeah, I hope so. <clears throat> Excuse me, connect. <laughs> yeah, I, it, so that's why I love the fact that you're sharing this backend information because if there are others out there that are also thinking about how we can get these students to come into, you know, the field more prepared, you know, with more hands-on experience versus Mm -hmm. just the observation hours, you know, like actually have that hands-on experience. I think we would just have more people willing and ready to, you know, go directly into and passing these exams, because I, I have to say that even, you know, getting hired within an organization that has a robust evaluation, right? Mm-hmm. Like even just passing those because they lack, I don't know, some some terminology, specific terminology or something of the sort. Like it just mm-hmm. gives you more of that, you know, perspective of, okay, what do I need in order just to get in? So, yeah. and, and perhaps even like, holy crap, I chose the wrong specialization. I totally don't <laughs> like this. <laughs> Yeah, let me not spend thousands of dollars on this because it's not working for me. (laughs) It's not working for me. Let me just choose to exit now. I love it. I think that what you're doing is is amazing. I think that, you know, like it's um, absolutely setting an example, not just for uh, ASL in medical, right? But I think Mm -hmm. anywhere else to be able to, um, like I've mentioned here before, be able to offer a solution to the problem. And I think that it's exactly what you're doing. Yeah. I, you know, I, I appreciate that because I was one of those people who, you know, when I was a new upstart, I was looking at these students and I'm like, wow, they're just so bad. And I'm like, why aren't they any better? Like, why are these interpreters not so good? Like they could barely team with me and I have to do most of the interpreting. Like, why is that? And I just was like, you know what? I should stop throwing rocks and at people and just try to be part of the solution. You know, like it's a big complex issue, but let me help where I can. And I'm like, okay, I work at a hospital. I have a lot of deaf patients here. Let me, let me, let me bring some people on. Let me help be part of the solution for my area. Boom. I love it. That is so great because I think that once we change that mentality, that perspective, like we, we make an even bigger 
impact, you know, Mm -hmm. like you're already making an impact with the type of job that you're doing. But the moment that you see a problem arise and that there is no seemingly solution to it, you know, that you can connect, like, like you said, Hey, they're coming from training, but why are they so bad? I mean, there's, there's a gap there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the moment that you change that perspective, why don't I become a part of the solution as, as opposed to just being, you know, um, so judgmental, really, this what's happening. Yeah. Right? Like, God, they're <laughs> yeah. bad. God, they're bad. <laughs> and it's like the moment you change it, it's like you change yourself, you grow yourself, and then you help that other person grow. Because mm-hmm. as a student, I think I, it takes me back to I, all I wanted to do was grow. And I've shared with other colleagues that one of my favorite, favorite experiences was when I started in a children's hospital and that, that interpreting team there at that children's hospital was so dynamic and Mm -hmm. they were so amazing. And what made them even more incredible was their ability to mentor me because I was the newbie at that hospital with that team. Mm -hmm. And they, well, Welcome me with such open arms and all of them consistently, whenever I would sit down, wanted to help me grow. And Mm -hmm. I think that when you are first starting out, that's all you're searching for. You want to be like the Sean that's in the interpreter, you know, that is interpreting uh, at that level, but you Mm -hmm. don't know how. And all you can do is try to mimic as if, you know, you know what you're doing, because I don't want Sean to make (laughs) think like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. And if you shine them off, you know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. you, on the other hand, of course, are offering now that helping hand, which I think it's so great. Talk to me about leaders. What is leaders about? Sure. It's a group of healthcare workers who specialize in working with people with disabilities. So usually it's someone like me who's like a Section 1557 coordinator uh, or an Americans with Disabilities Act coordinator. So different laws where we have to kind of digest them and like figure out, okay, how does our healthcare enterprise not discriminate against people with disabilities or language needs. So that's where me as an interpreter kind of come comes in. And I had to very quickly learn how to also work with other people with disabilities and not just people who are deaf. And um, Leaders has been a really great resource. We meet like t- uh, twice a month. So every, I would say every two weeks we meet and, you know, we, we learn a lot of really great stuff. Like today, we were talking about accommodation kits. So, you know, you have little pocket talkers or things to help amplify um, volume for, for our older people, um, uh, signature lines for people who are blind. It's just really, really great stuff. And it's like, oh my goodness, I need this for my hospital. And I want to make sure everybody who comes here can feel comfortable and be able to get access to the healthcare that they need. Wow. It sounds like such a great organization. I'll make sure to include uh, the link to their website if anybody wants to look into it a little bit further and uh, maybe even connect. That sounds great. Yeah, it's a, it's a really great organization. Thanks for sharing. What would you recommend, Sean, to someone that's interested in beginning their journey as an ASL interpreter? In other words, like, what would you say would be some roadblocks to watch out for? We can't all go to Florida. No. <laughs> You're <Sean>. welcome to <laughs> come. You're welcome to come. Thank you. But like, <laughs> if we don't have a Sean out here, what what could we do ourselves to, you know, just make us a little better in, um, you know, what we do? Sure. Um, I would say, think of yourself like an apprentice. And I remember going to a workshop 
early in my career and I was just so moved at the concept of trying to change our industry to an apprenticeship model and be more like electricians and plumbers. They don't just start doing that work. They have to train for years under a master. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's interpreting. Like we have master interpreters and I need to find master interpreters to learn from. And so what I would encourage is try to find interpreters in your area that you can glean from. Um, Another good piece of advice is um, even if you get really bad uh, feedback or, or advice that you think has nothing to do with you, try to find something in it, something, you know, even if it's just a grain of salt of value, take it and and grow from it. Um, And maybe on a more practical side, um, associate with the deaf community. Don't, don't forsake them. Don't just become an interpreter and never actually learn from the deaf. And I would say, most of all, learn how to do the business side of interpreting. You're going to get taken advantage of fairly easily from the companies and you need to know, okay, how do I fill out an invoice? How do I, you know, pay my taxes every quarter? And, you know, what are my local responsibilities? You know, do I have to have this kind of bank account or that kind of thing? Like I would really want new interpreters kind of learn the business side of interpreting as well. Actually, that is such great piece of advice because, um, you know, we tend to leave out all these other skill sets that we also need to make us eventually into that master interpreter, like you said, and, and business is one of them, you know, like for, for me, I'm, I'm all into the, the branding side because we, that's Mm -hmm. something that we don't get to, you know, learn as we're going. It's like, once we get the training, you're on your own buddy. So it's like, (laughs) what do we do in order to make ourselves more of a well-rounded professional? And so Mm -hmm. business, yes, learn that aspect. If you've got, you know, time in between there's, I don't, I don't think the learning ever stops. Right, Sean? Like, no, it doesn't. I, I, it's so funny. Is it, what is that saying in English? I can't remember. It's like the more you, the more you, the more you learn, the less, you know, Yes, that's exactly it's, that's exactly that's how I feel. Like <laughs> I've been interpreting for I don't know if, if, about 15 years now or so and it's like I'm 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 dumb as ever. I just I just learned that I'm more dumb. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> <laughs> you learn that there's so much more that you don't know than yes. that that you do know. And I think that that for for the person that is hungry for knowledge all the time, I think it's just it it opens up this whole world of I will never stop learning. I hope at least mm-hmm. that you don't think you've tapped out in your career because mm-hmm. you went through interpreter training. Um that is not the case, folks. You will always continue <laughs> to grow. So, you know, it's just a matter of what do you want to grow in? Exactly. Um, and Sean just told us, you know, the business side of it is just as important, particularly because of what you just said, you know, not just because, but because you don't want to fall into the trap of becoming some um, agencies, bad agencies victim, you know, mm-hmm. like you want to be uh, at the top of your game as far as that's concerned. So consider yourself your own CEO of your own yes. business. Mm-hmm. What I, new I <laughs> or future projects, Sean, are you currently working on that you'd like to share? In addition to the expansion of your mentorship program, which I think is phenomenal out there in Florida, what other projects are you currently working on? Sure. Um, right now, um, we're looking at um, professionally, I would say we're looking at expanding our department at um, 
our uh, health system and try to offer our services out to the community and um, just be specialized as medical interpreter providers. Um, we have a very large deaf community. Um, you know, I think I think close to 10% of our population in our area are, are deaf people. So, you know, they could really benefit from our services, um, trained medical interpreters, you know, and not just some random person showing up at your doctor's appointment. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of what we're focused on uh, professionally. Um, personally, I'm trying to, um, you know, get myself more specialized. I'm looking to, you know, go get my core CHI, even though I, I don't speak Spanish or another language, I, I'm going to try to get that too. I'm very interested into their EDE program as well. I heard there was some promising results from that study. And um, yeah, I, I, um, I'm just excited on growing and learning. Um, I'm also, I've been trying to learn a little bit of Spanish. So I've been like, I've been putting on like my Pimsleur and my Duolingo and, and, and <laughs> practicing my Spanish because I, I would love to be a trilingual interpreter, you know? Yes. I went to school with, and I, I kicked myself in the butt for that one I heard because <laughs> I went to school and I was doing my interpreter training with a gentleman that um, was trilingual. He also, really? yeah, he grew up signing. So he grew up with, I, I don't remember his specific story. I don't know if both parents are one parent or a sibling. I don't remember, but um, he did grow up signing. So that was, he just thought that was norm. And then also <laughs> they spoke Spanish and I just thought that it was amazing. Like, and he, of course, like, like you shared, he was like, it's whatever, right? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I just thought it was like trilingual. And I, the reason I say like, I would kick myself in the butt was because uh, through high school, I was always interested in American Sign Language. Like I wanted to take, but I thought I was too cool. So no. wah, wah, wah. <laughs> I know. I'm like, great. That was just, yeah. So anyway, that was the, if, if, if I had a regret, that would be my regret was I never went to school and learned it. At least I could have had that. I don't know that I necessarily would have done the interpreting specifically, you know, mm -hmm. but at least I would have said, yeah, like I speak another language in addition to what I grew up. Anyway. So I think it's an amazing endeavor, like for you to even just add that and be trilingual. I actually watched someone the other day and, I, and my mind was totally blown. Okay. Because <laughs> they were speaking Spanish, mm -hmm. right? So the, the, the presenters, it took me a while to make that connection, like figure out what's happening here. Mireya. Yeah. Like, the presenters were speaking Spanish, but the presentation was for um, an American sign language in mm -hmm. for English. So what he was doing was, how does that work? He was in his mind interpreting it into English and then signing or how does that well, work? Well, I mean, I'm not a trilingual interpreter, but American sign language has a very different grammar and syntax than English. It's right. actually much closer to Spanish and French than it is to English. Why should I um, say right like I know it, but someone had explained what? something like that before. <laughs> I'll clarify. No, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, like it's <laughs> it's 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 really cool. I I admire the trilingual interpreters. I really do. I I think that's just a, such a cool skill myself. And I've always been jealous because I'm like I remember in elementary school I had Spanish classes and then for some reason like all of a sudden they stopped 
teaching Spanish at school. And I'm like, who cut the funding? This is fantastic. Like, <laughs> who's to, who manager do I have to talk to? Yeah, right. <laughs> Imagine being like 10 years old. Like, I want to talk to your manager. <laughs> yeah, I watched them. That's why I'm saying that my That's mind so was funny. blown because I watched them. Like, it took me a minute because obviously I'm listening to the presenters. Yeah. And it's in Spanish. So I'm like, yeah. But then I realized because there's they, they mentioned, you know, like, oh, and for our English audience, our um, ASL audience out in the U.S. where, you know, they were they were broadcasting from I don't know where. And it took me a minute to realize hmm. Oh, so he has to know Spanish and you obviously understand and mm-hmm. then English just, you know, like, and, but then also interpret it into ASL, which I knew that much. It wasn't the, you know, it wasn't equal to English mm-hmm. language ASL. And I was just mind blown. I was like, this guy is rad. What's his name? I want to get him on here. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> I know I have I have one trilingual interpreter who works for me and he's he's just fantastic and I'm just I, I I'm so jealous. <laughs> I know it's it is it's it's jealous, guys. It's jealousy. Yeah. Any last piece of advice that you'd like to share with anyone out there? Anything in terms of, you know, um, what do we often get wrong with ASL interpreters or anything that you'd <laughs> like to share for or with our audience? You know, if they listen to the other podcasts, I'm pretty sure I remember Rory saying something like ASL is not universal, you know? Oh my gosh, yes. Love yeah, it. that's the co- most common thing that come people come up to me. They're like, oh my God, you're fantastic. And I'm like, oh, you know sign language? They're like, no. And I'm like, well, I could have been signing whatever up here. You would have never known. Like, <laughs> We all <laughs> watched that YouTube that video. So yeah. That that fake sign language interpreter out oh, in or was it Africa? We all watched. It was. That it was so bad. Oh my gosh! I cannot you know, imagine. No, I, it's so funny you bring that up. Is I actually have pictures of like interpreters, people pretending to be interpreters at like press conferences in Florida, and I'm like, <gasps> and someone actually went to prison for that. Funny enough, I I or jail I should say, and yeah, for impersonating interpreter, and because it was like we had a serial killer case in Tampa at the time. And this lady just comes up. She just starts waving her hands around. And I think she went to jail for that. Yeah. Unbelievable. How do you even have the goal? Like somebody, she, she should have at least won an Oscar. I mean, how do you, I don't know. Like, how do you impersonate and, and then have like the goals, I should say, to use a term in here, like to go up front in front of camera. That is just insane. No, no, Oscar, you're just nuts. Mental Institute. That is insane. Yes. (laughs) Unbelievable. Sean, where can our listeners find out more about you and the work that you do? Sure. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. So uh, Sean Norris, S-H-A-W-N-N-O-R-R-I-S. Um, if you're old enough to remember Chuck Norris, I often tell people, yes, I'm his, his <laughs> nephew or something, and they get a kick out of that. Oh, I didn't mean to do the pun. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah. for the younger audience that we're going to have to put a picture up. At yes, there we go. <laughs> um, and then I'm also on Twitter at, as uh, ASL Sean. Wonderful. And I'll make sure to include the links in our sure. show notes so that in case anybody wants to connect with you, whether or not they're out in Florida, they can easily do that. Sean, it has been a pleasure speaking with you today. I am so glad we had the opportunity to connect and that you were able and willing to share your story on this platform. Thank you so very much. Oh, no. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Take care. You too. 
If you enjoyed this episode or any other episode of the podcast, please remember to leave me a review. If you're tuning in on a space that doesn't have the option for a review, you can search Brand the Interpreter podcast on the internet and click on the iHeartRadio link and leave a comment there. Or if you already have the Audible app because you listen to audiobooks, you can search for the podcast there and that space allows for a review. If you've already left me a review, I just want to say thank you for supporting the podcast in that way. To those of you that have connected with me on any social media platform to share a positive feedback about the podcast, I just want you to know that your messages uplift me and motivate me to keep going. I hope that you tune in again next time, guys, here on the Brand the Interpreter podcast, where I truly do enjoy sharing your stories about our profession. Till next time. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the very end. If you'd like to connect with me, head on over to the website, brandtheinterpreter.com, and click on the Connect With Me tab. You can also stay connected on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube as Brand the Interpreter or Mireya Perez on LinkedIn. Till next time.